You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Block. James, good morning to you. Good morning, Andrew. But before we begin, I just want to check. Uh, microphone on the right way round this time? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, no, hang on. Here we go. Here we go. Yes. Great. You I haven't am... got your headphones on your feet or anything like that. No. You know how exacting I am about the audio standards of this podcast. Andrew. I know. I feel like I let you and the listeners down last week by talking into the wrong end <laughs> of the microphone. You let me personally down. I know. Um, I know. I'll try and make amends. Okay. Um, but, thank yeah. Good, thank goodness. So you're back on home turf. Back on home turf, back in my uh, office, in my studio, talking into my into my good mic, into the right end of my good mic. Still slightly, I don't quite know what sort of day it is or time it is and that kind of stuff. Well, it... It's 11 a.m. in in uh, Ireland and the UK. What time does it feel like it is to you? About 10, 10.33. I'm catching up, you know. <laughs> You're getting close. <laughs> I'm getting close. Yeah, it was a bit, a bit of a strange weekend because I left Los Angeles on Friday night, Los Angeles time, got into Dublin at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, went out for, you know, I slept a bit on the plane, so that was quite good, went out for a couple of beers and a bite to eat, uh, on Saturday evening, did not have a late night, went to bed, slept, and I, I don't quite know how to describe it. I, I had sort of fitful, surreal sleep where in my in my sort of, I don't know if you can call it consciousness because you are asleep, I felt like I had to sleep in cubes. I don't even know what that means. Right. Like it literally sort of uh, folded up like a cube. Yeah. Like I had to sleep within the confines of various cubes laid out like a Tetris shape or something. So I think my brain was doing a number on me and uh, had a reasonable night's sleep last night. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like I'm getting close to being back on track because, you know, it's um, it was uh, what eight or nine days away and you do lose track of time 
on that side of the Atlantic. I'm hoping that your kind of sleepless, fitful nights uh, will kind of bring us to par uh, on this podcast, you know, introduce some sort of parity. I've I've been in that state for several months now. So, you know, it could be good for the chemistry of the pod. We're we're coming at it from the same place. All right. All right. That's good. That's good. Uh, You know, I like when everything is sort of simpatico and, you know, we're all all on the same... um, sphere of existence oh, i think know? we can say we can say that we are i, I enjoyed uh i listened to you and andrew allen groggily recounting <laughs> uh events from the sofi stadium uh you were very taken with that uh arena oh holy shit it's 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 unbelievable extraordinary i've never seen anything like it mm-hmm. it is otherworldly you, you know you you've been to stadiums I've been to stadiums and you kind of think, well, I know what a stadium is and like, how different could it be? How, how, you know, how much more of an experience could it be? But it really is the pictures, the videos, they don't do it justice because everything is on this sort of enormous scale. There's escalators going up and down all over the place. It's like a futuristic shopping mall with a pitch right at the bottom. And I was on the, the fifth tier, you're below street level. The, the entire complex, if you want to call it that, between the, the outside and the parking lots and all that, it's, it's just an enormous piece of real estate. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's very, very, very impressive, which I suppose when you spend $6 billion, it would want to be. But still, I was a bit taken aback by it. Well, I suppose, I mean, you called it real, real estate there. And... You know, while uh, KSE and the Cronkies sporting expertise has been questioned in the past, I think their uh, real estate sort of arm mm. of their business uh, portfolio hasn't really been in question. I think that's an area where they are particularly strong. And yeah, I mean, it, it must have been quite a... It, I, I noticed the other day it was Stan Cronkies' birthday. And, you know, all the Arsenal aggregators posted, you know, happy birthday, Stan Kroenke. It was really Did fascinating. They? Did they? Looking, Yeah, I saw it. I saw it. <laughs> and um, it was really fascinating looking at the replies. Uh, and there was so such little negativity. Um, the, the attitude towards him, to the ownership generally, has shifted can, so can, much. But can, I suppose the stadium, in some respects, sure. must have been quite an impressive demonstration of, of what they are capable of. Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. Did somebody first post happy birthday to Stan Kroenke and then all the aggregators just copied and pasted that? God or, knows. I, I think maybe I said it on a YouTube video and, you know, it just got picked up. Um, yeah. I, I, it, listen, I had I didn't know it was Stan Kroenke's birthday, but I'm glad there are people out there keeping tabs on this sort of stuff. Well, I mean, yeah, it's part and parcel of the, you know, the Twitter experiences. You know, happy birthday to, you know, former player who played one game for Arsenal back in 1952. Yeah. Got to get that sweet, sweet content out there, you know. Do, um, how did it make you feel about the Emirates Stadium? Which is, well, you know, it's amazing how quickly things change. We think of that as the new stadium. It will be almost 20 years old, you know. Yeah. I mean. How did it compare and did it make you have any reflections on the current state of the Emirates? I mean, I, I do think there is a difference, isn't there, between U.S. stadiums in general in terms of, you know, how they do food and drink and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, 
it's sort of hard. It feels like you could fit a couple of Emirates stadiums into SoFi. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, it's a 70,000 capacity. That's what they said. Yeah, 70, I, think I think it can be increased, but the the standard capacity is 70,000. But, yeah, it feels much bigger than that. Huge, huge. I mean, I suppose, like any stadium that's been open for nearly 20 years, there are things, you know, that could be improved and things that could be made better. I mean, the one thing that the Emirates has got that, that SoFi doesn't is an incredible pitch. Mm. SoFi did not have an incredible pitch. They had a very, very, very bad pitch. Um but, I, you know, that's part and parcel of what happens when you put a pitch down the day before a game. You know, yeah. they don't have that. I think that, I heard that. you say on the pod, had that been a, another fixture against, you know, at another stadium, I think it's very possible that Arsenal would have said, we're not playing this. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's possible because it was so bad. You know, you could see the joins between the rolls of turf and... Um, you know, I guess the fear is for for Arsenal and maybe for Barcelona as well is that that a player would do themselves an injury on that. I, I remember last summer when Arsenal were on tour. I forget which city we were in at this particular point in time, but they had booked uh, maybe it was Baltimore. They had booked certain training ground as their mm. uh, base for that duration of the tour. And they turned up in advance a week beforehand. The Arsenal groundsman went to inspect it. And basically said, no chance. We're not training here. So they are very exacting about the sorts of surfaces they're prepared to train on and to play on. And I suspect had it not been, you know, the Cronkies Stadium, I, I just don't think they would have played that. Yeah, game. I mean, there were Arsenal grand staff on there doing their utmost to make the, the pitchers manageable, I suppose you could say, uh, as, as it could be. And there were moments where they were sort of dropping a ball and it just wouldn't bounce. Yeah, you know, it it really wasn't good. I I suspect somebody was called into a meeting with with Stan, you know, already a bit hungover from his birthday celebrations. <laughs> Someone was getting a piece of uh, a piece of his mind. Over He'd been that up pitch. all night reading all the Twitter happy birthdays. <laughs> um, so yeah, he was in a foul mood the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Stan stuff at Stan stuff on uh, Twitter, I believe. Well, they're, you they're loved it. Fans. You loved the tour. You had a great time, right? I had a great time. Met a lot of people. Um, met a lot of fans in New York and in LA. And it's you know it's always a pleasure. You know yourself when you you meet people who listen to the pod or read the blog or, or all of it, it. It's just great. It really is. And um, you know I think Arsenal did did good stuff out there as well for the fans. Um, there were some events that went down really well. And you know in the in the stadium on. God, when was the game? Last Wednesday. You know, there was a, a lot of cohesion among the Arsenal support. You know, there were a lot of Barcelona fans there, but the Arsenal fans, you know, were well organized. They had the, the TIFO thing going on. They were singing songs in the concourse, you know, 30 odd minutes after the game. So there was that sense of, you know, a united fan base. And um, yeah, between the Arsenal stuff and the sort of, you know, general drinking cocktails near the beach stuff. It was a very enjoyable trip, for sure, for sure. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Uh, so what's been happening? You know, I've, I've sort of lost track of um, news and things like that. You know, when you're far away, you don't tend to check social media uh, as much. Well, obviously, as you know, we beat Barcelona, so we're officially good again. Yep. Um, and going to win the Premier League and everything else. Um, That's I suppose nice. that we've got to start with the story that uh, broke yesterday from David Ornstein about Arsenal's interest in 
David Raya. Case of Deja Vu. Mm. Slightly out of left field. I don't know how many people would have seen it coming. Um, and yeah, I think it's a really fascinating development in this window. I do too. I think it's very interesting for a number of reasons. You know, the 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 main one I think is the what the implications might be for for Aaron Ramsdale. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the one that just first sprung to my mind. Is like, what does this mean for Aaron Ramsdale? This is a player that Arsenal just handed a, a, a new contract to a little while ago, right? Um, In May, I think it was. I think it might have been even the last fortnight of the season. Right, it was actually signed. Right, um, Mikel Arteta. By the way, I, th- I had to look at that article today just to see what the quotes that accompanied it were. Mikel Arteta said, "We are all so happy that Aaron has signed a new contract." The way Aaron has developed over the past two years has been exceptional with his performances, contribution and overall adaptation to the club. Mm. It's great that we're continuing to build our future with our biggest talents in the squad. We're all looking forward to enjoying many more years of Aaron the player and the person. Well, I mean, that sounds like somebody who's very comfortable with Aaron Ramsdale. I I'm, apologise here. I've just got ink all over my fingers. I don't quite know how. I picked up a pen. It's Are a you green... holding a squid just before? No. <laughs> no. I, knew, I know sometimes, like, instead of doodling, you just like to sort of, you know, fondle a squid. Yeah, no. The, the, I forgot to take one out of the squid tank downstairs. Okay. Okay. Um, but it's the weird thing is, it's a green pen, but I've got, like, red or pink ink all over my hands. I don't really understand what's going on. Anyway, <laughs> Arteta sounded very, you know, comfortable with, with Aaron Ramsdale there. There is, you know, the two goalkeeper dynamic that we've experienced before when you've got two goalkeepers who are, you know, of similar caliber. I'm not sure it's always worked that well. I do wonder why it's happening, though, you know, because it's a fairly substantial fee as well, £40 million pounds of a fee. That's what's being quoted, whether that's what, what it ends up being. I mean, do you think this is a question of Mikel Arteta? Like in every other position, more or less, there is genuine competition, right? Mm-hmm. From defense to midfield to forward, there is genuine competition, you know, in pretty much every position. But in this position, with goalkeepers, it doesn't tend to to work like that. You know, you think of Allison at Liverpool or Ederson at, at uh, Manchester City, and I'm not saying Ramsdale is quite that, but the gulf between your your very obviously first choice goalkeeper and the deputy is is quite apparent. I think that's kind of what we've got right now with Ramsdale and Matt Turner, but we certainly wouldn't have that with Ramsdale and and Raya. So is it a case? that Arteta is looking to, like, challenge Ramsdale and say, look, here's another goalkeeper. You know, you you have the position right now, but you're going to have to keep working hard and keep performing to to keep your place because there is somebody who can just step in. Perhaps so. I think I think that this this possibility of Arsenal signing Raya, and, and it is still that at this point in time, mm. there hasn't been a bid... You're right about the £40 million asking price. I think Brentford, um, generally, when they say something in the market, they stick to it. There aren't a lot of clubs you can say that about, but they operate slightly differently. And one of the things you have to consider for them 
you know, I know Raya's got 12 months on his contract, but their position is sort of informed by the fact that next summer, Ivan Tony will be in the same position. Mm. And they feel that they cannot do a cut price deal for Raya this summer because they're opening the door to doing the same thing with Ivan Tony next summer. Yeah. And, and they are very, very bullish about that stance. Um, I think that the way this has come about, because look, in May, Arsenal sounded very happy with Aaron Ramsdale. And I don't buy that. I've seen some sort of, you know, querying his performances in pre-season. I don't really buy that a couple of performances on a very on quite poor surfaces in pre-season can be a factor behind, you know, pursuing a £40 million. Goal. I agree with that. I agree. Um, I think it's about opportunity, really. So sometimes you, you go into a window with a plan, but sometimes a, a, a deal comes up or a player comes onto the market that you're not necessarily anticipating to be available. I think Arsenal, like everybody else, probably assumed David Raya would be at another club by now because there was a lot of talk about Spurs who were very interested. In the end, they went for a cheaper option from Serie A. There was a lot of talk about Manchester United. They went for Anana. There was some talk about Chelsea. It looks like they're going for Sanchez from Brighton. So I think there was an assumption that Raya was going to move somewhere where he would be the undisputed first choice, mm. another big Premier League club. That hasn't happened. So he's sitting there available with 12 months to, to go on his contract and Brentford willing to sell. So that's the first thing to consider. It's kind of a situation that Arsenal maybe didn't foresee. Then you've got the fact that it's a player that Inaki Kanya, the goalkeeping coach, really loves. And it's not a new thing to say Arsenal are interested in David Raya. I can't, I, I, you know, I've lost count of the amount of windows in the yeah. past where I've said, well, they like David Raya. Um, and in fact, the summer that Arsenal signed uh, Aaron Ramsdale, or even the summer before, I think they were looking at Raya but couldn't find a way to do a deal with Brentford. Um, as long as Inyaki Kanya's at Arsenal, they will be interested in David Raya. He was very involved in bringing him to Brentford. He sort of personally scouted him from Blackburn and then worked extensively on his development during his time at Brentford with him. They're both Spaniards. They have a common bond there. They've remained, uh, there's a personal relationship that continues to this day. He's a, Inyaki's a real mentor to David Raya and David Raya's his protege. And so that is a big factor here. Hmm. And that's interesting, you know, from the perspective of, well, look, Inyaki Kanye is the goalkeeping coach mm -hmm. and you have a very defined role, you know, within the, within the group, but then, having a kind of influence on recruitment is a different thing, right? But that is, do you know what? It, it, that's not particularly unusual among goalkeepers. So the goalkeeper market is almost separate to the outfield player market and almost runs on different terms. For example, yes, goalkeeper coaches have an unusually um, significant input mm. into those decisions. And in fact, every goalkeeper Arsenal have signed since Nyaki's been at the club, including Aaron Ramsdale, Alex Runnison, Matt Turner. Nyaki Kanya has been heavily involved in those decisions, obviously with consultation with Edu, with Mikel Arteta, with the recruitment department, but he has a big voice with 
mixed results, you'd have to say. Sure. Um, the second thing is that the goalkeeper market is kind of a, a little bit different in that you can only have so many in a squad, right? So if you want another defender, you can probably fit him in. If you want another midfielder, you could probably fit him in. With goalkeepers, one coming in almost certainly means one going out. A vacancy has to exist, really, for a deal to happen. Sure. Um, and we'll, I suppose we'll get to what that might mean for for Matt Turner. Um, so, yeah, it is a bit of an unusual situation. But I suppose what you can see there is there's a player Arsenal have liked in the long term. There's his unexpected availability in this window. And... I guess the third component, there appears to be some interest from Nottingham Forest in Matt Turner. Um, I, I gather that the market for kind of a second choice backup goalkeeper is not particularly strong at this point in time. There aren't obvious affordable solutions for that position. So I do wonder if Arteta, Edu, the club are saying, well, rather than bringing in a stopgap, rather than bringing in someone who's, you know, not at the level, as you say, maybe bringing someone who's at a truly competitive level with Ramsdale and let them fight it out. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's great and all. Let them fight it out. I, I, I think that, you know, can have its benefits. And if you've got genuine competition, it can push players. They can reach new levels, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But do you not then open the possibility of a, a situation where one or the other of your two goalkeepers is completely pissed off because... Yes, you do. I mean, you know, it very rarely works. And Arsenal fans know this better than most. We remember having Petr Cech and Bernd Leno on the books. We remember having... Uh, Cech and Ospina. Say, yeah, Leno and Martinez, Ramsdale and Leno. It never lasts. I think in all those cases, it lasted, what, a season? Mm. And then somebody moved on. Um, so, I mean, it, it, if, and it is still an if right? Because the money is big and I think Arsenal probably do need to sell a couple of players before they make any um, more purchases in the window. I mean, if Arsenal spend £40 million on David Raya, you know, I, if I was Aaron Ramsdale, I'd be a bit like, whoa, what's going on here? Uh, you know, the new guy tends to be the flavour of the month sort of thing. Um and it could be a really healthy battle. It could be a really healthy situation. But I'm not 100% sure that that's how it's going to work out. Because if one guy becomes the obvious number one, you know, what do you do? Do you do the European uh, split, for example, where one player plays in the, in the mm -hmm. Champions League? Even that might cause problems where you've got a guy who's the number one for the Premier League and then, like, I want to play the Champions League. I want to play in the big games. I want to play in the games away from home in the big stadiums against the big European teams. But to sort of keep the peace, we have this sort of arrangement. I, you know, I, I completely get what you're saying about the opportunity. I do wonder if you have to think about the stability uh, and the consistency that you might put to one side in order to to do that deal you know yeah yeah and 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 i think ramsdale is a big voice you know in the in the changing room and very well liked by the players um so you know you do risk unsettling that but uh, you know if we know anything about Mikel arteta i think it's that he he's all about competition i mean look at ben white 
Ben White, clear first choice at right back, and we've spent forty million on another right back. I know it's different. I know it's different with goalkeepers, but mm. maybe we maybe Arteta looks at this differently to us. Maybe he thinks I need every player in this squad to be absolutely motivated to the maximum, where they feel competition breathing sure. down their neck. Um that may be one way of that he sees it. And another thing that occurred to me, I mean, I looked sort of through, I was trying to think if it's ever worked, you know, two, uh, two very, very, very good goalkeepers in the same squad. Barcelona managed it for a time. They had Bravo and Ter Stegen, And I think they alternated in the competitions. I think one played in Europe, one played in La Liga. And it, they didn't, you know, they fared pretty well on both fronts. Um, I gather that when Alisson and Chesney were at Roma together, that was a kind of similarly productive relationship and both goalkeepers really went to a new level because of the competition, albeit that they ultimately moved on mm -hmm. and and found, you know, homes elsewhere. But I always come back to that thing of it. It very rarely works. I mean, Arsenal women, uh, I messaged Tim Stillman last night because... I had sort of a dim memory that Arsenal women have a kind of comparable situation in some respect. So they brought in a goalkeeper in January, January I think it's D'Angelo is the name, um, to provide competition for the number one, uh, whose name I'm struggling to pronounce, but begins with a Z. Do you know who I mean? Zinsberger? Zinsberger, exactly. Manuela Zinsberger. And... The sort of perception there is that they have two goalkeepers of kind of very similar ability, but slightly different styles, and that Jonas Eidevar might go with a kind of horses for courses approach. Um, who knows? Mm. Maybe Arteta sees that as a possibility. I just tend to think that goalkeeper is a position that really benefits from consistent selection and communication, understanding, the confidence of knowing that your place is secure um so yeah i i'm fascinated to see how this might play out if it actually happens if yeah um because because i sort of know what you mean i mean I, I wonder what the conversation with raya would be i imagine it'd be very similar to the conversation with aaron ramsdale when he signed you know you're coming in there's a man in possession of the shirt but we believe you're good enough to be the number one and you will at some point yeah. get your chance. You know? But I mean, I think it was, you know, there was a stylistic element to that as well, wasn't there? In that, you know, we had a, to be fair, Bernd Leno was definitely an upgrade on Petr Cech when it came to playing with the ball at his feet, right? Mm -hmm. Because Cech couldn't, you know, he looked like a man in wellies most of the time. And Leno was a clear upgrade on that. But then Ramsdale was very much an upgrade on Leno in that regard. Yeah. And, you know, Arteta went to significant lengths to persuade Sheffield United and Aaron Ramsdale that this was the move to make. Um, you know, he, he clearly saw something in him that made him ignore all the criticisms and all the external outrage and fury over, you know, signing a goalkeeper who's been relegated twice because he believed in what this guy was going to do. I do wonder in this case, like, is there a significant upgrade 
if you add Raya to the squad uh, over Ramsdale? I'm not sure that there there is necessarily. Listen, I, I think Davra is really good goalkeeper. I think he's a re- very good goalkeeper. I mean, I did have a quick look at some of the stats today because what what struck me was like, well, maybe they're seeing something in you know how he uses the ball. Yeah. Um, just based on last season, Raya and Ramsdale, Raya's short pass completion percentage ninety seven percent, Ramsdale ninety six point nine percent, medium passes ninety seven point nine, Raya. 98.2 Ramsdale and long passing 44.7% Raya, 35.8% Ramsdale. That's the only one in which there is a significant difference uh, between the two. Um, save percentage Raya 77.7% and uh, Ramsdale 70.6%. Neither of them are very good penalty saving records either. Um, so I know <laughs> yeah. that that was something that people were talking about with Aaron Ramsdale, but David Rye is not any better when it comes to saving penalties. So, you know, do you risk the the stability of your squad for a player who isn't necessarily that significant an, up, uh, an upgrade, you know, whereas previously Leno uh, was over Czech and I think Ramsdale was over Leno? <sighs> I think it's a debate, isn't it? How much of an upgrade Raya is. Mm. I think a lot of people really rate him very highly, um, especially with the ball at his feet. Uh, but I think that it's not like signing an Allison, for example. You know, no. I, I think broadly, um, Ramsdale and Raya's uh, ability is kind of close together. And, and Ramsdale's the younger player. I think Raya's 27. Yeah. Um, so you would anticipate Ramsdale still improving as he approaches his peak. I, I think that Arsenal would be in a position where they genuinely would have two goalkeepers who are very, very close in terms of stature. Mm-hmm. And all that makes me think is that that must be deliberate. You know, we've spoken in the past about the problem of rotating in Matt Turner or giving him the European games and how that prohibits some of what we want to do on the ball. Whichever of Ramsdale or Raya you pick, hypothetically, I don't think the drop-off would be significant. Uh, I think you'd be able to play the same football. You just come back to that point of, can you keep two goalkeepers happy? Um, I think that would be Mikel Arteta. One of his, if he managed to do that, it would be one of his greatest accomplishments <laughs> because yes. nobody else seems to be able to do it and if he can do it on top of you know everything else that he's done to improve Arsenal over the, the the last few years I think it would be another feather in his cap but but also maybe he can't Andrew yeah, no, maybe he can't maybe like he can. maybe and maybe he accepts that and he's like that's elite competition and that's being ruthless and someone will lose this fight and so be it, because I I demand the best. Yeah, that maybe to me that's feels it. like quite a Mikel Arteta thing to think. Um, yes, and, and the only thing I would say genuinely is that I think obviously with Raya coming in and potentially and with such a big fee attached, and the relationship with the goalkeeper coach and you know ability on the ball, all these things added together, mm. you know, there'll be a lot working in his favour, but. I also think Aaron Ramsdale has made a career out of proving people wrong. Uh, and 
I think it would be foolish to write him off in that fight. I, I think it would genuinely be fascinating to see how he responded to that level of pressure. I agree. I agree. Like if you can, if you can make it a positive environment, then it could be really beneficial. As I said a bit earlier on. Uh, yeah, it's really difficult, though, isn't it? Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's if you've got two goalkeepers... We've all seen games as Arsenal fans where we've had a goalie and goal and one on the bench. And how many times have we seen the TV director cut from a ball going <laughs> yeah, in the back yeah. of the net to the guy sat on the bench? Yeah. And it becomes a narrative that kind of hangs over the season. Um, yeah. It's a really delicate balance... Uh, it's your managing egos, expectations, but yeah, I mean, I look, I, I think they have very deliberately crafted a dressing room that is um, without too much ego. I think that's fair to say that yeah. there is a sort of look. There's always little squabbles and everything else, but it feels pretty harmonious. And even with an opportunity like this. It seems strange to me that they would do something that might potentially cause problems within the group. You know, like you say, Ramsdale's a big character, very popular English. You've got an English contingent of players as well. Um, like the risk versus reward is something that they must have thought about quite, quite strongly. Yeah, and I think there are a lot of hurdles to clear before it can happen. Um, anyone you speak to around Arsenal right now, and I don't know, you might have had similar conversations in, in your time in America, but this phase of the window is about selling players. Yes, basically. yes. And until Arsenal do that, I think it's kind of pie in the sky that they, they could pay that much money for a goalkeeper. Um, I think they really need to move people on before that can happen. Um so, yes, it, it, at the moment we are still talking in terms of the hypothetical, but just a really interesting, you know, I think a bit before every window, we always say, oh, there might be something that happens that surprises people. I did hear about this interest a little while ago, but wasn't sure it would come to fruition. Um, mm. But, you know, I think maybe with the interest in Turner, as I said, that's sort of creating a bit of a domino effect of, well, if we're going to bring somebody in, they need to be off the level. Bayern Munich have been interested in Raya. I'm enjoying the fact that um, this summer, nobody wants to go to Bayern Munich except Harry Kane, who's desperate to go to Bayern Munich. <laughs> yeah. He's desperate to go anywhere, I think, at yes. this point. that's a nice little subplot. What, um, I mean, let me just try and put this in a different context. Yeah. You know, we've talked about the the striker position we've talked about you know what's going to happen with Balagum we've talked about what you know Eddie can bring to this team what he can and can't do etc etc and I think there is probably a a desire among certainly some fans to see us add another striker to the mix mm -hmm. Do we view competition for strikers differently than we do for goalkeepers? So if we, you know, sold Eddie, sold Balagoon, brought in a, I don't know who it might be, you know, Johnny Big Name. So we bring in Johnny Big Name, you know, uh, as a striker. He's got to compete with Gabriel Jesus. 
that feels more aligned with what players are used to when it comes to to scrapping for their places. Because, you know, if you're the striker and you score the goal, you, you think you're going to keep your place. Um, balanced with that, of course, there's a there's an element of variety that maybe Johnny Big Name is a different kind of striker. It gives you a you know, different option, a different tactical option, etc. You know, um, maybe it's something we have to rethink about goalkeepers. Well, that's it. I mean, I get let's have intensity of competition for every position. But yes, there are certain positions that would be ahead of goalkeeper for me as a priority in that sure. respect. Centre forward would be one. Maybe right wing would be another. Um, but who knows? Maybe there are plans afoot. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, we don't know yet what Mikel Arteta is thinking. And we won't know until we see how he picks the team over the first couple of months of next season, if this comes to pass. Um, you know, and I, and I think as well, we should do Matt Turner the credit of sort of not uh, writing off his Arsenal career until a deal is done and he decides mm. to take it. I mean, I think we sometimes talk as if Matt Turner is not a good goalkeeper. I don't think that's fair. I think he is a good goalkeeper, but maybe not necessarily the right goalkeeper for this team. I, you know, I know he was involved in the Gold Cup games for the for the yeah. US, but I have to say I was a little bit surprised that given Arsenal were out there that he wasn't involved in any way with the tour. Mm. I did find that just a little bit surprising. Like I know he gets to go on his holidays and um, did you know he and his wife had a, an addition to the family? I think um, not too long ago. So you know he needs some time off and all the rest of it. I just figured like as the number one goalkeeper for the US men's national team. And Arsenal were in, you know, DC, they were in New York, they were in LA. To not be part of it in any way just felt a, a bit weird to me. I agree. Um, and maybe that was indicative of, you know, the situation. Mm. Uh, I think I think Matt Turner's position has been that as the US number one, if an opportunity came up to play first team football mm -hmm. in the Premier League, he would definitely be open to that. Uh, I don't think he would have been unhappy to stay at Arsenal and, you know, compete or, or be the understudy to Ramsdale. But if he could be number one somewhere, I think he would want to do that. Um, Forrest have come in uh, and from what I understand, they would see him as someone who would play a lot of games for them. So that, you know, that might be something that appeals um, and may suit Arsenal as well if they're trying to create a, a vacancy for a David Raya. Mm. Another thing to in Raya's favour, by the way, he does qualify homegrown. I know it sounds like a small consideration, but it's something Arsenal have to consider. Um, he's been in England since he was a very young man, and he would, you know, he would fill, fill that quota too. So, Be he fits the bill in a lot of ways for for what Arsenal want. It is just an unusual situation, especially given how recently. They handed Aaron Ramsdale that big number one salary. Sure. And also, let's not forget, paid something in the region of six million or seven million for Matt Turner mm -hmm. last summer, which is, you know, I think a a very a substantial fee anyway for a goalkeeper coming from MLS. Yeah. Right? So it'll be very interesting to see if he goes to Nottingham Forest, what kind of fee we might get. Yeah. I think given the year he's had with America, you've got to be hoping to turn a profit there. Yeah. Um, 
especially if you're trying to find the money to, to pay for David Ryan. Um, yes, it will be very interesting to follow this one. I, I do think that Brentford's negotiating... You know when we went in for Caicedo with Brighton? Mm. Brentford run themselves in a similarly bullish fashion. I'm really enjoying sort of watching from a distance Chelsea trying to buy Caicedo uh, and having multiple bids kind of knocked back unceremoniously. Mm. And I'm quite <laughs> glad we're no longer in that position. Um, but Brentford are kind of similar in terms of how set and fixed they can be regarding their expectations. You know, they held on to Ollie Watkins for a long time before sure. the fee they wanted was triggered. They're very disciplined about this stuff. Do you think we might have any players that Brentford might be interested in? Well, that that's a great um, question because Brentford are very smart and like to use the market to, you know, to their advantage. If, if, a deal could enable them to get a player they might not otherwise be able to afford um, or or buy, then that could be a consideration for them, for mm. sure. Um, so, yes, I, I, I mean, listen, this is pure. I, this is literally the second I thought of this, but somebody like a Flo Balogun, for example, mm. feels like a very Brentford signing, you know, especially for a club who've got Ivan Tony um, suspended currently and with doubts over his long-term future with his contract situation. This is complete spitballing here. Sure. But it would make a certain degree of sense. I mean, it would, but, you know, I'm logging off Twitter, you know, so I don't have to see <laughs> uh, Brentford get a striker that they yeah. can use while we get a goalkeeper we don't really need, all that stuff, you know, which... Um, you know, I, I could I could understand that. That's that's what I mean. But I just I just wonder, given the size of our squad, given some of Mikel Arteta's comments, uh, you know, about how it's unsustainable to have a group that big. Um, you know, like you said, I talked to a few people out there um, on the tour, and the focus very much is on trimming the fat, if that's mm -hmm. the way you want to put it. Well, selling some players, I guess, is is the right way of putting it. Um, I've lost complete track, but you know there might be uh, there might be a temptation to do a deal like that because it's convenient because you can get something that you want. It may not be you know financially quite as as uh, beneficial, but you do have to you do have to to make this squad a bit more manageable in terms of size. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, I, I do think the interest in Raya. I think it does show a kind of ambition from Arsenal um, to even be talking about another player of that calibre, that kind of fee, after the business we've done in this window, I think demonstrates the degree to which we are not messing around. Mm. Um, the summer of Les Dudis continues apace. Um, but I, I feel like this might be a situation we're talking about for some time, simply because of the players' contract situation, Arsenal needing to move a few players on. Sure. Um, I feel like this is a discussion we'll probably be having over the next few shows. Um, not much else happening in terms of outgoings. I did see reports of Austin Trusty maybe going to Sheffield United. You know, yeah. Potential loan know, deal potentially. there. I mean, listen, I think Austin Trusty is a really interesting player for Arsenal to have on their books. 
I think I'm right in saying he's a left footer, centre back. Yeah, yeah. Had a very good season in the championship last year. Hello, guy. Uh, I just hope you're really well. Age. Sorry, is he now 24? That was you coming in. I was just. Um... I had your video there about the Raya deal. That's why that just played. Oh, really? The top. But, yeah. I just clicked the, the tab and you it just started heard playing. most of it, to be honest with you. But I'm recycling content. <laughs> um, but uh, I think the yeah, Austin Trusty, I mean, alone, I guess, might be a little bit disappointing, given that we're in a position where we'd like to bring some cash in. Mm-hmm. But maybe they feel, you know, there's not an urgency to it and another good season on loan will increase his value. Uh, am um, I a bit mad or did we have some kind of weird deal? Do we actually, is he actually officially an Arsenal player or was it like a long loan from? No, I, I think he up. is an Arsenal player, but he was loaned back. Ah, to that's Colorado what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. In yeah, the first right. instance. Um, he is our player and... Yeah, you know, he's a USA international now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to think there'd be some money for him somewhere on the continent or somewhere in this country. Um, you think they're just looking at another loan deal to sort of, you know, he had a good loan deal or, you know, was he Birmingham's player this season? I think he was. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, it may be that. Another loan deal might just sort of increase awareness and, and his value a little bit. Um, yeah, get a few more international caps under his belt. Um attract a, a you know a premier league suitor potentially maybe so maybe if the permanent market isn't there for him alone makes sense i mean i definitely don't think he'll be part of the the group for arsenal but i mean sheffield united are um in the premier league next season oh so they are so you they know are. so he is going to have that extra exposure um you know to the top level and with that i guess the the awareness of a player grows you know so I, yes. I, I'm with you. I think, you know, he's somebody that we should be looking to to make some money on, but maybe, you know, they're banking on a season in the Premier League and then, you know, maybe a permanent deal to Sheffield United or another club in the Premier League or somebody else on the continent because they've seen him in action and he is uh, on TV a lot more, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you might get more next summer if he does well at Sheffield United. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe this loan agreement, agreement rather, would have a, an option within it. Um We'll have to wait and see, but I, you know he's one of the names I would I would definitely expect to move on uh, in the next few weeks. All right. Um, beyond that, we haven't heard much about anyone else going, so we can't even we can't even really speculate uh, as to who might be departing. Even if everybody I think knows the names of of the players who are probably there or thereabouts when it comes to the uh, the departure lounge. There have been some reports about Sambi. Um, you know, but we know Burnley are Burnley, the club, the club most interested in Sambi. Um, I think that the issue with them is that they only get two Premier League loans. I think I'm right in saying it's certainly a finite number of Premier League loans, mm-hmm. and they basically have to weigh up whether they would want Sambi to be one of those. Um, or would they rather a permanent deal? And then you've got Arsenal's own expectations to consider. But there's definitely interest there. So mm. I imagine one way or the other, he might well end up at Turf Moor. Yeah, he, he's somebody who needs to to go and play one way or the other. So um, 
He missed the tour, didn't he, with injury? He did, yeah, had, a, had an injury. And, um, you know, other players weren't even on the tour, as we know. No Cedric, no Nicolas Pepe. Um, so we've, we've got a ton of players in his position as well, you know. It, yeah. Rice has obviously come in. Thomas Partey is still there. Jorginho, Elneny. It's very hard to see a route to games for him. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, look, we'll wait and see what happens um, with the players who are uh, heading outwards. Um, I think we should take a break now, though. So let's do that. Do this. No, let's do that. Uh, we'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. This week we will uh, announce on Patreon our Fantasy Football League for the upcoming season, cash prizes, uh, Arsenal shirts and more to give away. And of course, the famous fourth place trophy. If you do uh, fancy signing up, you can do it at patreon.com forward slash arseblog. I did wonder, James, about a world in you know which AI is increasingly prevalent and taking, mm. taking people's roles and work. What if there was like a robot who did your job? Yes. Let's do this. <laughs> Flash forward into the future. That's it. 
The year is 2053. Andrew's co-presenting with a robot. <laughs> uh, well, listen, it's good to know that should anything befall me, which, let's face it, it seems absolutely inevitable, mm-hmm. you've got that in your back pocket. Well, that's it as well. It's also a healthy competition for places. You know, you exactly. know that if you... have invested in... Yeah. It means there'll be no drop-off. Um, I call this robot Raya. Raya the robot. <laughs> Raya bot, yes. Uh, have you got a question lined up, Andrew? I do. Have a lot a- of questions about the goalkeepers. We did have loads of questions about goalkeepers, and we talked a lot about that. I thought this was quite an interesting one because, you know, we've talked about where else we should spend and people will have their opinions about, you know, how the money that we might spend on David Raya could be applied elsewhere. But I, I thought this was a good one from Leeds Gunner, who's at Leeds Gunner 1. And he says, who would you realistically bring in to challenge Bakayo Saka to make him better? Or is he such a unique talent that this, that this is already an impossible task? Hmm. Yeah, I don't think you're going to bring in someone of his calibre. Yeah. It's very, very difficult to do that. Um, I think that's what Arsenal thought they were doing maybe when they pursued Mikhailo Mudrik and it it was going to cost them €100 million. Um, Who would I bring in? I mean, I, I don't even really care about that side of things. I just think it's a really interesting idea, you know, that you have a player like Bakayo Saka and we're like, well, we need backup for him. We need competition for him. We need someone to ease the burden on him and all those things, which I think is perfectly normal. But are there certain players in certain teams who you just kind of have to accept are going to play every week because they are so good? That, well, that regardless of who else you've got in your squad, the caliber of that player means that they're going to play, you know? You're going to have to do without them in some ways, but but is it a fool's errand to say, right, we've got to get somebody who, who can do what Bakayo Saka does? Perhaps so. I think what you're looking for is someone who can play that position, maybe with some slight kind of qualitative differences. Mm. Um, you know, think of the great Arsenal teams. There was never an alternative to Thierry Henry. You know, there was yeah. never anyone who was close. If he was fit, he played. And if he was out, we suffered. And that was the reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Bukayo's not quite at that level yet, let's say. Um, but you can have backups who who offer something different and are really, you know, valuable contributors. You know, we didn't have a player of the calibre of Patrick Vieira but in people like Ray Parler, Edu himself, we had really, really competent players who could do a job for you on almost any day. Yeah. And I'm not sure we can quite say that on that right wing position, unless we're sort of moving people about, you know, and playing Gabriel Jesus there, Mm. Um, which I do still maintain is something I would like to see. Uh, I know it sort of, you know, creates a sort of knock-on effect of who do you play at centre-forward. But I would like to see Jesus on the right. I have got a name for the right-wing position. Okay. I want it. Sure. I I, oh, I almost daren't say it, but I would be looking at Michael Elise of Crystal Palace. Left-footed player from the right-hand side, 21 years old, brilliant mm. dead ball, 
great delivery, slightly different from Saka because I think his game is more about, you know, cutting back and swinging those crosses into the box. But if you've got Kai Havertz arriving at the far post, mm. that's quite an appealing thing to be able to do. I think he's a really interesting player and prospect and someone of the right sort of stature that you could bring him in as a sort of rotation option and sure. see how he develops. No, I like him. I think he's a very good player. It's a good good shout. I just wonder what, you know, price-wise that's going to cost you for a player like that, you know, um, probably a few good few years left on his contract at Crystal Palace. Again, maybe this is one of those where you you look at the squad that you've got and maybe you try and do a part exchange in some ways. I know those deals are very, very rare, but, you know, potentially um, you could tempt Palace with, with one or two of the players that we have. Um, yeah, I mean, it, there's been conflicting reports around it, but... Uh, some people have reported a release clause of around £35 million. If there's a validity to that, that feels like a very fair price. Must get our pal uh, Dan from HLTCO. He would know. Um, exactly, right. He would know. Um, but yeah, I think Fabrizio Romano is one of the people who cited that release clause. It just makes a lot of sense to me. Mm. He's got but, a contract till 2026 at Palace. Yeah. I mean, who knows if that clause is there and if it's valid. If it is for a young player mm. who qualifies for England, an attacking player with decent output, I think mm. that's the one I would be looking at. All right. All right. Um, let's see. Let's have another question. Oh, Simon Harrington said, Norm this is in reference to the Arsene Wenger statue, which mm -hmm. was, of course, revealed uh, recently and he said normally when statues are revealed without a quote from the uh, uh, without a person there to commemorate sorry normally when statues are revealed without a quest <laughs> Andrew I've gone turn the mic around forget it the whole podcast is over normally when statues are revealed without a quote from the person they're there to commemorate the person is dead isn't it a bit weird that all the arson statue stuff was conspicuously missing you know Arsene Wenger. I mean, I guess so, but I mean, I again, this is something that I I saw last week, and I didn't um, I didn't get into the nuts and bolts of it in the way that I would have if I was at home. Mm. Did I not read that he's going to be present at the Monaco game on Wednesday, and that you, that might be, you know, the the way that they're going to do it? You you've got that absolutely right. Right. I, I set I teed you up. And you knocked it out of the park. He's the guest of honour right? Uh, on Wednesday for Arsenal versus Monaco. An appropriate fixture mm -hmm. to be the guest of honour at. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure he'll do some sort of club media, you would think, regarding the statue. Yeah. yeah. Good to see the statue there. Yeah. I think. I'll have to have a look at it next time I'm over, but... Um... Yeah, I mean, it's good that we've got to the point where this can happen. Maybe there are still some relationships that are a bit strained, which prevented a a kind of ceremonial unveiling. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But clearly, the the there's been a thawing anyway, because uh, he did return last season. He's going to be at the game on on Wednesday. Um, I did. I thought I had a game uh, or a question rather about that. Let me just see if I can find it. Um. I'll be there Wednesday. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. Jim Jim says, 
He's on the Discord, by the way. He says, how strong a team do you think Arteta will pick for the Emirates Cup? It's a trophy at the end of the day, guys. <laughs> Can't mess around. Um, <laughs> pretty strong. Pretty strong. I think I think we're into that period of preseason where there's not much messing around. I think you I think he'll be looking at that Man City game on Sunday very closely. I guess there's a chance he might say, well, let's play one team Wednesday, one team Sunday. That but was, I think he'll yeah. start the game with the similar eleven to what he starts with on Sunday. Mm. Yeah, I what did wonder think? I did wonder if it might be a chance given that this is basically the last preseason yeah. game before the community shield whether or not it might be a chance to give some players who haven't played a great deal a bit more of a run out? Potentially. That is one way of approaching it. Mm. I just think back to last season and how that kind of consistent selection towards the end of pre-season fed into the season itself. I, I think he might go, certainly for the first 45 minutes, with something mm. relatively familiar. Um, I had a question, actually, about that. And it's from Dan Massey on the Discord. And Dan says, Goodly morning, lads. Do you think Thomas Partey will start in the number six position against Nottingham Forest? We need to get off to the best start possible. And is it a case of not changing too much too soon to start the season? Could you see Rice starting in the Shaka position or could he even start on the bench? Well, I suppose the thing with, with Declan Rice is that we don't quite know where his fitness is at. Missed, missed the Barca game, of course. Missed the Barca game. Got a kick in training. They didn't want to risk him. Um, so I guess it will depend on that and what kind of update we get on that. Even aside from that, I think in the Barcelona game, Thomas Partey was extremely good. Mm-hmm. Really good. And, you know, it felt a bit more like he knitted things together in midfield. Right. Um, as opposed to the Manchester United game, which I think was just a bad performance all round. You know, nobody played particularly well. But you do have someone like Declan Rice who's coming in. And, you know, he said some things last week, didn't he? I'm having to learn a new kind of football or I'm seeing football in a completely different light. And it might be just a new player coming in and saying, you know, this is, you know, saying, you know, trying to blow smoke up the... Uh, the arse of the manager and all that kind of stuff in a nice way. I mean, you know, um, but you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that there are differences between what he's being asked to do by Mikel Arteta and what he was previously asked to do by David Moyes. I think that's a certainty, right? So even for a guy who's 24 years of age and has played a lot of football, there is a learning curve. And, if it takes him a few weeks or a couple of months to really bed into the team, I wouldn't be overly surprised. You know, that that his initial uh, period at Arsenal might see him play a bit less than people expect. So go on then. So, First Premier League game of the season. What, what do you think we'll do at I the base of midfield? I know Elliot. Balls on the line. Balls on the. I know Elliot. Elliot said this last week as well that he wouldn't be surprised if Partey started against Nottingham Forest, and I wouldn't be surprised either. I can't quite predict it. I'd need to see the team against Man City in the Community Shield to really to put my balls on the line on this one. 
because I, you know, I, I, I need them. I like them. It's such an important position, isn't it, in mm. the team? And and a bit of continuity there is appealing. I don't, you know, we don't have to rush Declan Rice in necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I also think there are lessons probably to be learned from Manchester City last season in terms of the fact that their team that started the campaign was quite different from the one that finished it. Mm-hmm. And there were big spells of the season where big players were on the bench. Kevin De Bruyne is maybe the most obvious example. Um, you know, we have seen in the past that Thomas Partey maybe has waned over the course of the season or had injury problems or maybe faded towards the end. Uh, certainly that was the case last season. Maybe that's a consideration and we can kind of time it so that Rice mm. takes over over the course of the next 10 months or so. Yeah, yeah. Don't know. I honestly don't know what uh, Arteta will do. He may take the view that we need to get this bedded in as soon as possible, but it's very... When you've got a known quantity like Thomas Partey available... It's a very tempting option, for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, there has to be, I suppose, an element of of common sense. Like, what is the best team right now to go out and win that game? Mm-hmm. And does you know does Declan Rice arriving a little bit late in the in the window, needing a bit of time to get used to the tactical elements, perhaps not being a hundred percent fit? is the common sense approach to go with a guy who, you know, did it for you last season at a really high level for most of the season. Sure. So, I suppose, that, yeah, the other side, of, the other argument would be you've brought Rice in because you think he's better than what you've got. Um, and if you want to win that game against Man City on Sunday, maybe you, maybe you push that button. Maybe so, maybe really so. Really interesting to find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is where I think next season gets quite fascinating because having talked about the need for a much deeper squad, the manager then has to use that squad and use it in 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 ways which get the best out of everybody because we're going to have to deal with the midweek football as well. Um, so I think there is going to be a need for greater rotation, and it is rotation. We've got to get beyond the idea of a first eleven, I think, uh, and use the use the full depth of the squad as much as we can. So uh, it will be very interesting to see what he does. Uh, not just not on Wednesday per se, but the the Community Shield. I think will give us a good idea. Let me ask you this one. Uh, Critical T on the Discord said, "Since arriving, Trossard has barely put a foot wrong." He has, in some cases, won us games. His three assists in the 3-0 over Fulham, for example. Despite this, he's often referred to as a strong backup option. Why does he never seem to be seriously considered as a starter in his own right? I don't think that's true. I think he has been seriously considered. Uh, there was a period not too long ago when he was playing up top and Gabriel Jesus was returning from injury. And a lot of people were saying, let's stick with Trossard. You know, mm. I, I think people have afforded him that degree of credit. Maybe now it's the summer and we've got Jesus back. Um, he's not being discussed quite in those terms. But I, I, I really see him as someone who I would be very comfortable playing in almost any game. I really do think he is at the level where 
if he were to be picked ahead of Gabriel Martinelli or ahead of Gabriel Jesus, let's say for that Forest game, I would not have any hesitation or concerns. Mm. I think I think he's shown himself to be that good and that adept. I actually think he's been one of the best signings um, that we've made of late. When you consider the circumstances, the fee, the impact he's made, I can't say enough good things really about Leo Trossard. I think he's been brilliant. Yeah, I do kind of get where the question is coming from though, because when you think about you know, your starting 11 or, or, or first choices, for example, you know, it's going to be Martinelli on the left. It's going to be Jesus yeah. up front. It's probably going to be Havertz uh, in midfield. But um, I feel very happy to have Trossard. He was great against Barcelona. He's just a really smart, intelligent player at the peak of his game, you know, uh, and just the kind of player that this squad is going to need over the over the coming months. But I do get why he might be considered, probably because of his age and where he's come from and everything else, that he might be considered not a first choice in any position, but like you say, the the versatility he has and the ability he has to play across the front line is is um, second to none, I think, in terms of who else we've got in the squad. And I think as fans, and particularly as fans of this Arsenal team and this Arsenal project, part of it is that we like to project forward, don't we? We like to be like, well, in two years, Bukayo Saka will be this and mm. Gabriel Martinelli is going to be you know, the new Ronaldo and, you know, we like to make those projections and it's not because of Trossard's age. We can't really do that in quite the same way. Sure. But w- what we can say is he's at his absolute peak right now. Uh, and that's a really valuable asset in a squad that is generally pretty young. Mm. Um, the other thing about him is that even though on a kind of individual position by position basis, you might have him as the second choice. I do think there is a case that Arsenal will look a better team when Trossard is in it. And I don't know if you quite know what I mean by that, but I just think his intelligence, I think we we, we play very good football when he's on the pitch. Mm-hmm. And there are certain players who just have that capacity where they're so technically good, so smart, that they sort of elevate everyone around them. And I think he's got a bit of that knack. Um, in the same way that maybe a Thomas Rosicki did. And I think he'll have a big part to play next season. I agree. Uh, let me just follow up on that one with this one from Decaf Metcalf's Calf, who's mm. at the Murhaf on Twitter. He says, on the heels of the David Raya thing, have Arsenal underspent in the front line? Outside of Jesus and Trossard, the front line consists of academy players and cheap young signings. And the last big forward signing outside of those two was Nicolas Pepe four years ago. Hmm. Well, there is a pattern to, to Arteta's spending, which is that he likes to spend money on defenders and goalkeepers, mm. um, it seems. Now, that's in part because he's been blessed with academy talent and you know, bargain buys like Gabriel Martinelli, who have filled a lot of those slots. Um, you've got Smith Rowe, you've got Bukayo Saka, you've got Reese Nelson, you've got Eddie and Balogun. You know, all these players cost Arsenal only what it costs them to develop them, mm. which is kind of extraordinary yeah. when you think about it. They did try and add a 100 million winger in January. That's true, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you look at the, the if you look at the makeup of the squad, the majority of the spending has been on 
the back. It's a squad that, you know, there's been a big emphasis on that. Um, I think most Arsenal fans, I know, I know you feel this and I think there's sort of an emerging consensus that at some point in the next couple of windows, centre forward is kind of a glaring position that might need to be addressed mm. in terms of true depth, quality and competition and maybe variety. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just think it's an interesting point. You you know, you're right. He is very lucky to have um, been here at the time of the emergence of Bakayo Saka. Martinelli, um, you know, with, I think, Arteta's help as well, has, has really blossomed. Um, so he hasn't needed to, but uh, I do wonder if in the not-too-distant future we're going to have to spend fairly significant money on a forward. Yeah. Um, I would say, by the way, you know, we talk about the successes quite a lot. We should mention the failures. A decent chunk of money was invested on contract for Willian, new contract for Aubameyang, mm. and neither of those panned out particularly well. And yeah. they're not here anymore, so we don't talk about it. But, you know, although those didn't involve transfer fees, it was a significant allocation of budget. Yeah. Um, yeah, true. Uh... Okay, yeah, we had this question on the Raya thing and a few people asked it, so I thought we would do it. It was from Matt Casey uh, on Discord. And Matt said, Morning, guys. Even if the Raya deal wasn't to happen, do you think it could still help light a fire under Ramsdale, knowing that his place could be under threat? I mean, potentially, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're any player in any position, if the club is going out to buy a player to play in that position... You know, I guess you sort of knuckle down and double your efforts and all the rest of it. Uh, particularly if, you know, like if you're Aaron Ramsdale and Arsenal announce that they're going to sign James McNicholas as the goalkeeper, you probably don't take it that seriously, with all due respect to your goalkeeping skills. Mm, thank you. I'm not I'm not a very good in goal. That's but let, let me tell you, the outfielders would be worried. Yeah, they would. You know, the, that left-back <laughs> situation, holy shit. Um but you know, if the, if if the rumors are that they're going to bring in a goalkeeper who you know you know absolutely can challenge you, then yeah, maybe it does. Maybe you do need a little bit of refocusing. Who knows? Um, I, I've seen a couple of people suggest: Is that all this is? You know, is is this just to light a fire under? Mm. I don't think that's right. You know, uh, this is really credibly reported. Um, but if it's a kind of happy byproduct, I do think a a motivated, determined to prove people wrong, Aaron Ramsdale tends to be the best Aaron Ramsdale. Sure. Look at him in the adversity of an away game, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that could be an interesting kind of byproduct of this interest. But yeah, I don't think it's the reason for the interview. Yeah, it's not just a, a story planted to sort of get a reaction from the player. I think it's... That really doesn't happen very no. much. It really doesn't happen very much. Um, what was the question I was going to ask you? Wise Marklar says, what's going on with Charlie Patino? Great question. And I think the fact that we're not talking about it is kind of illustrative of how far we've come in some ways. You know, I think there was a time where we would have been very fixated on what's happening with Charlie Patino because of his potential and his ability to make a difference in the future. 
But we're now moving into a position where this squad is very much built or be, being built to win right now. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we're not as attached to, uh, you know, these academy prospects as we once might have been because they could have been the Messiah, the saviour. Mm. Um, truthfully, I actually don't know. I mean, I assume the the position is still what it was, which is that he would like to play first team football and Arsenal are open to uh, making that happen if their requirements are met. Mm. Uh, I think he could probably, I think he's, I mean, he's had no part really, has he, in pre-season in any real sense. Did he uh, play in that game against... Boreham Wood. Again? Good question. I actually don't know what the Arsenal eleven was against Boreham Wood. Should we have, go a have a look? Yeah, let's go and find um, out. The, the, the McNicholas Derby, as it's known. <laughs> um, can you dig it out? Here we go. Uh, his name's not on the sheet. There's some familiar names on it. Lino Souza or Walters. Um, mm. Ethan Nwaneri, Marcelo Flores uh, on the bench, Miles Lewis Skelly. Uh, nothing about Charlie Patino. I'm literally going to do a, a Google news search for Charlie Patino. Um, anything? Very little. Very little. Rumours that QPR and Luton are interested. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure, I mean, that sounds very plausible. Luton would be a a good move for him. I mean, obviously they've been promoted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it's pretty quiet, eh? Maybe I should find out. I'm on, I'm on paternity leave, guys. Yeah, I know. Yeah, don't don't go above and beyond. Ask Ornstein. We'll <laughs> we'll find out in due course. It is just sort of interesting that you know, having gone, did he go public or was it made public that this was what he wanted? A story came out. Yeah, that he, that, that, you know that he wanted first team football and that Arsenal would probably um was it isn't it basically Rio Ferdinand's fault isn't that what it all is is it <laughs> I think so yeah basically I, mean, I, I find that plausible is there a specific reason you I, th- I think Rio Ferdinand is an ambassador for um the agents that Charlie Patino is uh is involved with and he he said something like this Patino boy he needs to leave Maybe I'm I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not quite sure, but basically, well, I'm, ha- I'm happy to blame Rio. Ferdinand. I think we should all blame Rio Ferdinand, but um, yeah, not being involved in any way in preseason is not great. And listen, I, by the way, I, d- I don't mean to diminish Charlie's talent or his potential. It's purely that I think it shows you how competitive we have become mm. and the level the squad is at. That this is not a bigger topic of discussion right now. I think that's I think that's right. You know, and as we said before here, that if he wants to leave and go and play first team football somewhere, you can completely understand that. Because if you're Charlie Patino now and you're looking at a midfield lineup and, and, uh, you know, the players that he would have to get ahead of, Mm. you know, you've got to be a little bit realistic at 19 years of age and think, is this the right place for me to be? Even if Arsenal have this track record of bringing in young players, it's it's much more difficult to make the breakthrough when uh, a team is good and Arsenal are good right now. So he might need to, to spend those couple of years um, to get to the level where he might be able to compete. He's got to play. He does have to play, you know, um, but just curious to see where he ends up. Uh, it is a bit quiet, but um, yeah. Uh, whose question? Is it mine? No, it's yours. I just asked that one about Charlie Patino. 
Uh, Ali Wood has been in touch. Goodly morning, gents. Goodly morning, Ali. Many of our rivals have made good money selling players to the Saudi league, but apart from a few links to Partey, Saudi clubs don't seem to want our players. Why do you think this is? I have no idea. Literally. Like, if they're going to buy any old chump, we've got lots of old chumps that they could we've buy. We've got some chumps for you, mate. Yeah, we're fucking chumptastic at times. So I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know. I mean, think about it. Well, I found it interesting. Uh, I, I do wonder if it's about sort of existing lines of communication or existing relationships. Maybe, you know, maybe if you're a club <laughs> where the hedge fund that owns you has been invested in by the Saudi Public Investment Fund, you've got these, as you say, lines of communication. Maybe, I don't know, just throwing this one out there, right? Yeah. Maybe if your club itself was bought by the Saudi Public Investment mm. Fund, mm. you know, you can have a, a word in the ear with this guy or that guy, and then they throw down a shitload of money for Alanson Maximan. For they example. did manage to find a buyer for Alan St. Maximan, didn't they? Quite, uh, quite a fair price. Oh, as well. absolutely. Like, Knockdown price of, you know, way above his market value. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No comment, I guess. I'm just, you know, throwing it out there. I'm not saying there's anything untoward going on by any means. Are there any very wealthy football clubs in Rwanda? Don't think so. Damn it all. Don't think so. Um,. I had a question here. Let me see if I could find it. Uh, Matt Gunner, who's at Matt Gunner 32 says, after seeing another successful tour for Premier League clubs in North America, have you warmed to the idea of Premier League games being played in the US? There's always some, un uh, some unfairness in how a team's 38 fixtures play out. So would, would this be such a stretch uh, in playing one or two or maybe more games abroad? That's a really good question, I think. And that's why, given that you've just got back from America... You're going to throw I'm it over to me. you have first go at this, yeah. <laughs> See, I, I, I threw this one over to you, you know, as a season ticket holder and all the rest. Sure. I, I would say I would not be open to that at all. I think it's amazing when Arsenal go to the US or go uh, abroad and they connect with the fans and the fan base and all the rest of it. I think it's absolutely fantastic. But I think part of the reason people follow Arsenal and follow other clubs is because they are they love the competition right I'm not saying the Premier League is the greatest thing since, since sliced bread obviously it's got its problems but as a, a, a product if you want to call it that it is attractive to fans all over the world and it's not just because of the game of football that we all love you know it's the fact that you know each team plays each other home and away and that creates this competitive environment um I think it would take something away from those fixtures if the games were being played elsewhere. And that's not to um, make comment on the level of support or passion that would be uh, present and, and uh, obvious within the stadiums because I've seen it and I know how passionate Arsenal fans are. And I'm sure that's applicable to fans uh, of other clubs and maybe the, you know, the two or three people in the United States who support Tottenham as well. But um, I just think... It's not right. You, you know, you pay your money for your season ticket. You expect your games, your home games to be played at home. And I think that's basically sacrosanct. 
Um, you liked that stadium, though. I did like that stadium. You can go play another game there. Go play, you know, I don't know, preseason games. It's fine. It is a great stadium. But I do think that, you know, there are certain things that cross a line. For me, anyway. And I do think that, you know, if Arsenal were playing a home game in SoFi Stadium or MetLife Stadium or wherever, I just don't think that's right. Don't think it's right. And I think the people that want to experience Arsenal want to experience Arsenal in the Emirates Stadium. You know? Instinctively, I agree with you. I'd sort of love to know what our fans in America and other countries, I mean, I guess you're in another country, but think about this. Whether yeah, they I'm, would... I'm in another country. I'm an Irish guy that started a website about Arsenal while I lived in, Barce- uh, in Barcelona. Yeah. You know, so I'm not... I'm not um, I'm not saying this as somebody you know who's who's a traditionalist in any way. I just think you 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 should play your home games at home, and I think the only reason that that wouldn't happen is you know financial, and I think there are some things that money should not be able to buy. And I realize, and I know that sounds naive and everything else. I know the world we live in, but I think... Instinctively, I agree with you. And if you'd asked me a few years ago, I think I would have answered this pretty emphatically. I find myself in a position where I, I agree with what you're saying, but I do wonder if there may be something better we can offer like better something better to be offered to other countries as a live event than just a pure friendly season yeah yeah like i wonder if there's some sort of slightly more formalized thing or something that feels more competitive but without damaging uh the kind of uh sa- uh what's sanctity of mm. the premier league but is this not going to be like the FIFA Club World Cup thing or something like that? Where yeah. well, chuck you know, them a League Cup final or something like that. I don't know, but yeah, yes, like it, you've seen for yourself, like how global the club is, and and you know, particularly in the US, Arsenal are just so massive, and with the US ownership as well. Part of me wonders if there, you know, there will come a point in time where something takes place offshore. How would you, let, let me ask you, you know, on a very basic level, you, yeah. you pay for your season ticket. How would you feel if the final home game of the season was taking place in America or Australia or Japan or China or somewhere where there's a big Arsenal fan base? You know, how would you feel? If it was the final game of the season, that would feel particularly mm, wrong, I think. But if it was like a game against West Brom in February, you know, I, I, I know I mean, what you I, mean. I, but like, it's not going to be a game against West Brom, is it? Because you know, you, you can sell it. If you're going to do that, you're going to try and make it a big fixture. Apologies yeah. to you know West Brom, but I think <laughs> I think I think I could accept it. There's so much in the game now that I have to sort of. Uh, mm. adapt my views to make sense of and there would be so many Arsenal fans that might benefit the problem is like what's fair 
like, oh, we play a game in America now. Well, what about Arsenal's fans in Asia? What about Arsenal's fans yeah. in Africa? Um, that sort of starts to become murky and difficult and tricky. I suppose all I can say with confidence is that, like, my views on it are slightly more flexible than they were. And I think that there might be a point in time where we do see a competitive game of some nature, whether it's like a Club World Cup type thing among Premier League teams. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like in some ways it may be an inevitability um, and I'm not quite as angry about it as I used to be. But yeah, equally, it's sort of not my preference. I'm sorry that sounds like a fudge, but I, I, I suppose the point is to say that my views on it have slightly softened um which surprises me to be honest yeah i guess you but just... i'm in a super privileged position andrew like i get to go to a lot of arsenal games yeah yeah and it, to me it doesn't feel like a huge sacrifice to, to let people who wouldn't ordinarily have that opportunity have it um i suppose my, my concern then becomes like how is that fair <laughs> you know in terms of the prices the location sure i mean there was tricky. talk wasn't there of like a 39th game yeah. So that one, you know, would be played, but then I don't know how you do that in terms of the fixture list or or anything like it. Yeah. Um, it it feels a bit can of wormsy to me. Yes, you know, well, exactly. I, I, and once the genie's out of the bottle, like once you've opened that can of worms, the genie's eating the worms, that... sitting there stuffing his face with fucking worms. Yeah. And nobody gets may, anything done. Maybe it's sort of a rule that has to be kept because otherwise, where does it end? Yeah. That might be the most common sense version of uh, an answer to that, yeah. Mm. But very interesting topic, I think. Um, I think we nearly have to go, but let me just ask you this one very quickly. Uh, John on Twitter, who's at underscore Jonagon, says, what do you think about Rob holding to MLS? He can still play at a higher level, so he might not go, but he would be the best centre-back in the league, which doesn't usually spend its limited allocation on good defenders. He loves America, and we could probably get $8 million. I don't doubt Rob Holding will play in MLS at some point in time. I'm not sure that time is right now. I think, uh, I think he would be open to moving abroad, certainly, and trying something really different. Um embracing a different lifestyle. Uh, but I, I just don't know. I think MLS, at, at, how old is he? 27? He's going to be 28 in September, yeah. you know. Would MLS really pay a fee that Arsenal would find acceptable? Well, I mean, if if we had to pay them $7 million for Matt Turner... They've got that $7 million hanging around somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, it works both ways here. Come on. Uh, listen, I think Rob Holding will play in the MLS. I just am not sure it's yet. What do you think? Um, I mean, he's coming up on 28, unless he gets, you know, a big he, offer. He from... really loves American stuff. He does, yeah. He does. What better time to go? You know, slot in there at Inter-Miami with uh, with Messi and the the lads. I don't know. I mean, he might. I, I, I do think he's going to go somewhere this window. So whether it's somewhere on a permanent basis or or on loan, we'll have to wait and see. I think he's got a year left on his contract. So who knows? Um, I think it could be the salary side of things uh, in MLS rather than the the, the transfer fee, mm. you know? I don't know that Arsenal are going to look for a huge amount for Rob Holding, but it's whether or not the the salary cap 
you know, don't they have like three designated players per team or something like that? Yeah, I don't know if if they'd want to make Rob one of those designated players, and they probably have to to meet mm. his demands. So, listen, I think Rob Holding knows if he wants to play, he's probably got to move. We'll see. I mean, he's, he's another name on that list, isn't he? Of potential departures, and as yet, not seen a great deal of movement. Only Granite Shaka uh, of any real note has gone. Hmm. Well, Pablo Marie, of course. Pablo Marie, yeah, yeah, yeah. So look, yeah, there is work for for the uh, the sales team to do. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully, they can get a, a a bit going on that. We'll see what happens, of course, on Wednesday. Uh, with the Emirates Cup game against Monaco. Um, Right, we better leave it there. Uh, We'll have some stuff for you during the week, of course, uh, on Patreon, regular stuff on Friday as well. For now, though, take it easy, folks, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.